This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not to be construed as an offer, solicitation, recommendation, or endorsement of any particular security, product, or service. For more information, visit AssetBuilder.com. From the Asset Builder headquarters in Dallas, Texas, welcome to Keep It Simple, a show that discusses simple techniques and philosophies to help de-stressify investors around the world. I'm your host, Jared Herzog, and welcome to the show. Today, right. we're going to be talking about something that I'm sure is on a lot of people's minds, a lot of investors' minds. Mm-hmm. It's going to be returns right. in particular. And we've, we've talked about this in the past, but I think you know, going through in the past, I, we've learned over the years how to communicate, I think, on this topic. And I think it's really important, especially in times like we're in now with markets being mm-hmm. you know, volatile, to help people understand how to approach, how to interpret a return. Um, what do different types of returns mean and Mm -hmm. what should I be thinking about when I'm looking at my performance? So that's kind of the goal. And we've got, you know, we'll we'll touch on a couple of things at the end in terms of Mm -hmm. um, kind of a cheat sheet for, for people on how to, how to do that well and do it efficiently so that they don't make bad decisions. But Janet, within, without any further ado, when you're working with your clients, Mm -hmm. what are some of the most common mistakes you, you see people make? Right now, the first thing that comes to my mind is is uh, just being in the moment, looking at your returns that are happening right now, day to day, or even within a year's time. Here at Asset Builder anyway, we aren't what is considered active managers. We aren't chasing returns. We're helping you build an investment portfolio to meet your needs and your goals over an extended period of time. So we're going to look at returns over an extended period of time. So right now, when a client calls and they're panicking because their return is not good right now, nobody's is, there's really nowhere to hide. Yeah. Um, so that plays into what we do. So we just remind them, this is part of the course, yep. right? Yep. Yep. This is part of the dip. It's going to happen. You're going to see the other side of that in due course. And we're just going to wait until we get there. And then we're going to ride this out. And then Mm -hmm. we'll level out at some point. So that's what we try to teach our clients, to not focus on the immediate return. Obviously, a return on investment is the profitability over and above what you spent or paid for that investment. If you put $1,000 in a bank CD and it gives you a 3% return, that's exactly what you get. So when you put your money into the markets, the stocks, the bonds, uh, you're not sure exactly what you're going to get, but mm-hmm. we're striving for an average rate of return over time. That's right. So, yeah. so that's what I face regularly. I oh, think yeah. where the confusion comes in with returns for people is there's so many different uh, return formulas. Yeah. Uh, based on different information, uh, we can go through. There's uh, your individual rate of return. There's the time-weighted rate of return. There's the nominal rate. There's the real rate, et cetera, yep. et cetera. Yep. So can you, Adam, help you know us understand that and understand uh, for a client that's wanting to look at this and measure their performance and maybe even measure advisor against advisor or fund company against fund company? Yeah. I couldn't agree more with everything you just said. Um, I think there's a couple easy kind of overarching. I mean, we could take hours and sit mm. here and break down the specific different types of returns and that's useful. And maybe there will be a day for that, but mm-hmm. I think we could probably get lost in the weeds doing that. Whereas I think what I'd rather do is give 
framework of, mm-hmm. of mental checks to make when you're evaluating returns, mm-hmm. right? Because we acknowledge returns are important. You can't right. always just say, well, it's short term. Returns mm-hmm. have to show up, right? And the idea is not to to encourage anyone not mm-hmm. to look at their returns or to ignore the returns. Returns are very important. And that's why we mm-hmm. care so much and why we take the time we do. Right. Um, and why we're talking about it today is because if we can help you actually understand what those returns mm-hmm. are telling you and what's baked in, there's a lot of stuff baked mm-hmm. into any return, whether it's yeah. the type of return, the time frame covered, the benchmark you're, you're comparing it to, there's a lot baked mm-hmm. in there. And because they're important, we want you to understand it well. Is if you can understand it well, you're that much more likely to make better decisions, whether it's regarding your investments, your investment mm-hmm. manager, or any changes you might need to make. So I think the first thing I would stress, this is super simple and it's going to sound elementary, but know what you're measuring. Right. So I, I can't tell you how many times I've sat with somebody and it'll be as simple as they'll look at a return, right? And to your point, mm-hmm. a lot of it is just an emotional kind of knee-jerk reaction. Right. It's positive or it's negative. It's a good number or it's a bad number. Mm-hmm. If it's good, awesome, everything's great. If it's bad, right. something has to change, something's broken. Right. So that's kind of the first thing. If you understand what you're measuring and the nature of what you're measuring, it can quell mm-hmm. a lot of that. Mm-hmm. In other words, when you invest, in some ways, you are signing up to get on a roller coaster mm-hmm. of sorts. Okay, that is the ride. Mm-hmm. So when you get on a roller coaster, it's not anyone's fault when you get surprised that there's a loop-de-loop. If there's right. a loop-de-loop, that's part of the roller coaster. So <laughs> don't get on the roller coaster if you don't like being upside down at times, right. right? That is part of the experience. So if you can understand and and, and internalize, when I invest, there's going to be periods of mm-hmm. negative return. That can help, I think, alleviate some of that knee-jerk, oh my gosh, it's negative 10% or negative 15%. Of course it is. Like That's the nature mm-hmm. of it. But then kind of secondarily to that, literally understanding what parts of my investments am I met. I mean, I've literally had a conversation before where someone will call in or um, they'll be, you know, either either overly exuberant or overly frustrated. And they'll be looking at an account level return. Right. As opposed to a portfolio level return, which are going to give you wildly different mm-hmm. conclusions, right? You have six accounts. Well, you're looking at the performance of one of the accounts, which right. only has a couple parts mm-hmm. of the portfolio in it. So it's as simple as making sure you understand what am I looking at? What am mm-hmm. I measuring? And then also, this is probably the key point to take away, understand the time frames being measured. And, oh, and, yeah. and importantly, when I say that, take note of meaningful events, particularly mm-hmm. meaningful like market moving events, usually around either the beginning or end of mm-hmm. that measurement period, right? So most statements, most performance reports, they have some standardized periods. A lot of times there is an event either of significant positive magnitude or significant mm-hmm. negative magnitude that really affects that return, mm-hmm. right? So if something looks out of whack or if something looks either excessively great mm-hmm. or, or you know, depressingly worrisome, look at history. Like right. go back and look at the market over, you know, if you're looking at a three-year return and, you know, it's it's exceedingly good, go go back and look at either the very end of that three-year period or the very beginning of that three-year period. And a lot of times there's something there that will explain the problem. Mm-hmm. So, or, or, or the, the positivity, right? So I have an example here. So if you look at the S&P 500, um, the, the one-year return for the S&P 500, for the calendar year 2021, it returned 28.7%, mm-hmm. right? So by all accounts, banner year, right. everyone's happy. If you do the same exact measurement, so it's the same investment set, mm-hmm. the same amount of time, 
But instead of ending that measurement period on December 31st of 2021, we measure at the end of this last quarter, September 30th. So we'd be measuring 930 of 21 to 930 of 22, return negative 15.47. And that's really important. Like that in and of itself is so, I think, educational and so informative because Mm -hmm. the investments didn't change. Right. Like did the S&P 500 forget how to have positive returns? Mm -hmm. Right. And so if you, if you don't, understand that mm-hmm. and internalize that, whether right. it's SP or any investment, if you are reacting to those types of swings, mm-hmm. you are going to be chasing your tail as long as you're investing. Right. And it's going to be a really uncomfortable swings, uh, you know, certainly help us attain that long-term average that we're striving for. Yep. But with those big swings are going to come the big dips. And so right. in the end, we strive for uh, an average rate of return that can beat, you know, any place else you can put your money, right? As far as a safe type right. of of risk-adjusted investment. Certainly there are risky investments. You can make a lot more, but there's exactly a high right. level of risk and gambling. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> right. I mean, it really is. And, and, so, and that's not a bad thing. Right. Like it gets back to, you know, understanding the nature of investing, particularly in the market. Like when you see that negative number, there's an old adage, like, I only care about the value of my Mm -hmm. investment on the day I need to sell it, right? In other words, the negative returns over periods of time, my willingness to accept that Mm -hmm. is the reason I get the positive return. Well, it's interesting that you bring up the S&P because that really became a benchmark for so many people Mm. over the last 10 years, right? And that is something we struggled against because we invest in a lot more than just 500 U.S. companies. That's right. We are very diversified across the globe, across the asset classes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So putting everything you have in an S&P index fund is putting all your eggs in one basket, ultimately. It was a basket that paid well for many years, but... Then clients did want to compare everything we did to that, especially sometimes if they they had a separate investment that was just right. in the S and P. That's right. like, well, my investment that I'm doing on my own is killing you guys. Well, <laughs> yeah, okay, which is recent bias, and, uh, and so yeah, I mean, so many biases that get in the way. But I, I think the way that you you measure returns, and and uh, you know, it's so important to know these things because. If you're doing this on your own, I think it's very important that you set up a structure for yourself that will not lead you astray. So setting up a set of measurement tools that will put things in the proper Mm -hmm. context is going to lead you to make better decisions Mm -hmm. over time, right? And that will compound. That'll be great for you. If you're working with an advisor or an investment manager, you want to be aware of how they're contextualizing your returns because there are so many ways you can prepare returns and, Mm -hmm. and, and the different kind of pictures you can paint with these different types of returns. It's really easy to make things look better or worse. Sure. And so. And I think that's that. huge if for our clients or for our listeners who, who really want to have just a grasp on what's the best way for me to, to look at these numbers and know that, yep. that my investment's doing what it's designed to do ultimately. Yep. And so, yeah, just kind of knowing what's the best uh, return rate for you to view and even if your advisor sends you a return rate and you have a question about it, you know, maybe you should look at a different return rate to compare it to. Absolutely. So, yeah. And, and so I think kind of 
rolling into the, the second part of that because it kind of meshes. First point being knowing what you're measuring, mm-hmm. right? So knowing what time you're measuring, knowing what investments you're measuring so that you contextualizing your expectations appropriately. Mm-hmm. The second thing would be know what you're measuring with, right? Mm-hmm. So this gets back to there's a lot of different kinds of return, right? Mm-hmm. And you're going to see a lot of different types on all different kinds of reports. So um, there's there's time weighted, there's internal rate, mm-hmm. there's money weighted, there's uh, nominal, there's real. I mean, mm-hmm. the list goes on and on and on and on. And so, you know, for example, right, the reason you have these different kinds of returns and they all have their use case, but we need to know what right. the use case is that you need. Right. So for instance, time weighted return, right? That's a return that I think for the average investor is probably going to be the one you're going to want to reach for, right? right? The, the one you're going to want to use because what time-weighted return does is when it measures um, the value of your portfolio, some of the value of your portfolio is due to market movement, right? Mm-hmm. Or in other words, raw performance of the investments, either going up or going down. But I might be taking money out of my portfolio over that time period. Mm-hmm. I might be adding money into my portfolio over that time period. I could be having dividends that aren't being reinvested. There's all kinds of things that can happen yep. to the Taxes. value of that portfolio. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. And so um, what time-weighted return does is mm-hmm. it excludes the impact that all of those cash flows right. have on the return. So that if what I really, and I think most investors, when they look at their stuff, what they really want to know is, are the investments behaving, are, are they doing a good job? Right. Are, are they working? Right? Right. Are they appreciating in exactly. value? And that's what time weighted return will tell you. And I think, especially for working with an advisor, if you're wanting to kind of gauge, you know, how's advisor A doing against advisor B mm-hmm. or whatever, time weighted is going to be the way to right. go. Um, whereas, for instance, money weighted or internal rate, mm-hmm. it, it does not exclude the effect of those cash flows, which is also useful mm-hmm. if you need to account for what return do I need to aim for, right? In right. over and above what I'm going to be adding in. So there's all kinds of reasons mm-hmm. or real and nominal, right? Okay, do I want to know? what my actual return was, or do I want to know how my return did to account for inflation, right? right? So if my money's lost half of its purchasing power, I'll say 20% of its purchasing power, then I want my return to reflect that so I can see what's my take home, Mm -hmm. right? So just knowing that, and again, like I said, there's so many of these Mm -hmm. that it would take us all day, weeks of, of talking about this to get through them all. But I think just understanding that returns aren't as simple as just saying 10%. Right. We use this example with clients all the time. Well, if if you're a new investor, right, or a a rather inexperienced mm-hmm. investor, if I just show you a number and I say you got a hundred percent return, mm-hmm. you might think I'm a world beater. Right. Well, but that's a total return figure over 10 years. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So that's a 10% annualized return. Mm-hmm. That's a much different story, yeah. <laughs> right? But it's all about how you position, how you contextualize it. So there is some some legwork involved to educate yourself mm-hmm. on what these things are, mm-hmm. but just know there are different types of return. Now, right. we like rolling returns. Jim. Yeah, we so do. That I think we want to spend a minute on, and yeah. I, I have some data here that will help you, I think, contextualize why rolling returns are helpful, but give us an idea of what rolling returns are and why they're, why internally, at least, we like them so much. So, right, rolling returns does what I said earlier. It really gives you a picture uh, over time. So you can do a three-year, we like the three and five-year rolling return method here. Uh, just spreading that out over three years gives you a better picture over five years and even better picture. 
but most of our investing is long-term, minimum 10 years, right? Even our retirees still have 20, 30 years that they're investing for. So we really like to spread that out and look at the returns of the funds over a rolling period to give us a better indication of whether or not it's going to do the performance that we need in their portfolio, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So, And that's just one small piece of the whole pie but it really does give us a clearer picture of oh, yeah. what of what we're looking for with regard to returns. Yeah. Um, of course, we look at it historically, doesn't predict the future, but it gives us a very good idea of how that fund should perform over time and how the funds can perform together yep. over time. So we'll, we'll put them in a group, we'll measure it out, even um, the group of funds yep. and make sure they're going to do what we need. Yep. Uh, that per that performance for that particular client's uh, needs and goals. So just to kind of go a little deeper there, the, the reason why it does that, the reason why it sets better expectations, mm-hmm. most people, when they get their statements or their performance mm-hmm. reports, they're just, like I said, they want to see either a black number or a red number. Right. What is it? But if you can drill down what a rolling return is actually doing is giving you a sense for how that investment behaves in all conditions. When I look at the last one year or the last three years or the last five years, mm-hmm. that really is, if you think about it, that's a really arbitrary measurement, mm-hmm. right? Like it's the last five years. Right. But but when you're building a portfolio, like statistically speaking, it carries no more predictive weight. It, it It's no more of an indicator of how that investment set will behave than the five years preceding it mm-hmm. or the five years ending one year ago or the five right. years ending 17 <laughs> years ago. It, it is it is arbitrary in the sense that we just happen to be measuring it today. Mm-hmm. But because it's the most recent, mm-hmm. we know recency bias is probably the most important yeah. bias in investing. Right. People get all up in arms, mm-hmm. right? So it, it goes right back to what we we're just talking about. Like the SP 500 ending in 2021 mm-hmm. was a great year. So right. we have two choices: either that that investment set lost its worthiness, it lost its credibility, mm-hmm. or downward cycles are part of the market cycle. And rolling returns help communicate that much better. Yeah. So, for example, if we look at the SP, and I picked this time frame because I, I think it's it's a good demonstration of, of two things we've already talked about. But if you look at the three-year return for the S&P 500 from 2008, 2010, so 08, 09, 010, mm-hmm. the S&P for those three years returned negative 2.85%. The one-year return ending in two, 2010 was 15.06. So bear okay. with me. I know it's a mm-hmm. lot of numbers. It's boring, but bear with me. Mm-hmm. If you just move forward one year, so we're going from 2008, 2010 to 2009, 2011, we go from negative 2.85% three-year return to 14.11, mm-hmm. right? So we've only moved forward one year, but mm-hmm. all of a sudden my three-year performance has jumped massively. Right. Now, my one year over that same time frame, we've moved forward one year. Mm-hmm. My one year a year ago was 15.06 in 2010. Now in 2011, my one year was 2.11. So I'm all confused. How right. did my one year go from <laughs> 15 to two, but my three-year went from negative two to 14, <laughs> That's a very, there's a lot for me to do there. Now, we, we know what happened there, right? Mm-hmm. So that was essentially an effective, during that measurement time, when we go from 20, uh, from 2008, 2010, when we jump from 2008 to starting in mm-hmm. 2009, well, we're starting that now at the very bottom of the market. Right. We know that in March right. of 2009, we hit the bottom and then it rocketed up. So when we start from that low point, mm-hmm. everything ahead of it looks great. Right. 
However, if we back up two years to where the end of that three-year measurement mm-hmm. is starting at the bottom, you look like a fool. Right. Even if your portfolio right. never changed. Now, if we look at the average three-year rolling return over that period mm-hmm. ending 2011, it's 6.13. Right. So it just kind of cuts through that noise and tells you, well, what's kind of the the median? What What's the normal, mm-hmm. you know, it, it kind of mutes out the effect of the extremes and gives you a sense for mm-hmm. over time, what should my expectation right. be of this investment? And that's set. the number I think we're looking for when we're when we're advising our clients yep. and that's the number they're ultimately looking for, right. right? Right. Because we can't, unless you're going to end on the high and know that you're going to be able to pull out on the high, yep. then, then this is the smartest way we believe to try to, to help you measure the performance of your portfolio and know that it's doing what we designed it to do. Well, right? not even, I mean, Returns are going to, they're going to be accurate because it's math. The numbers can't well, sure. be wrong. I think more importantly, what rolling returns do is they set better expectations. Right. Well, that's true. Every time someone sees, you know, at least in my experience, mm-hmm. you work with folks and, and they'll have a year where it's 21% mm-hmm. and all of a sudden that number is now the lowest, mm-hmm. like that's what their expectation is. Because we got that once, that's now the lowest acceptable number. So now next mm-hmm. year when I get 9%, even though that's a great return, well, I mean, we've really kind of mm-hmm. fallen out. You know, what, what adjustments are going to be made? It's like, no, no, no. We're going to have highs. <laughs> we're going to have lows. Right. But it all just goes back to none of these are, are we don't exclude any of these. You got to use all these different metrics. Mm-hmm. But using them collectively is going to give you a much right. better sense for what is actually going mm-hmm. on, right? And when you know what's actually going on, you're going to make better decisions. Mm-hmm. And typically that decision is probably... In action, the action you don't take is usually more important than the action you do take. Exactly. Lastly, I want to talk about something that we spend probably an, an inordinate amount of time talking about internally because it's so important. But we've talked about knowing what you're measuring, mm-hmm. right? Knowing what you're measuring with. Now we're going to talk about knowing what you're measuring against. Right. So let's talk about benchmarks. Okay. Now, benchmarks, just to clarify for everybody, benchmarks are usually an index of some mm-hmm. sort, but it's the thing that you're trying to compare your selected investment set to. Right. So it's it's the way that we sniff test, where are we, right? Mm-hmm. I can have negative 4%. I have no idea if that's good or bad. Right. I don't know what's going on around me. So that's what the benchmark is. So talk us through a little bit how you would counsel somebody to pick a good benchmark. How should you think through building a good benchmark or, or picking the right benchmark? Well, obviously, it depends what your investment is. But let's just say if you have an average, moderate portfolio, 50% stock, 50% fixed income, then ideally, you'd want to look at a global and you're globally invested around the world in all the the markets, then you're going to want to look at a world index, Mm -hmm. the SEI index is a good one to look at. Certainly, if you're only in uh, the U.S. large cap, the S&P is a good index to look yep. at. Yep. And uh, the Dow, to me, is it's only 30 companies. It's not much of an index to compare anything to unless you're in that one of those funds, right? right. So uh, so that's generally, and there's there's uh, global benchmarks for the, the bond markets as well. So, so those are so those are there and those are useful to compare to. And, and the thing you don't want to do is compare. If you're very diversified, you don't want to compare to the S&P yep. or vice versa, yeah. right? 
No so, more than you want to compare to the FTSE 100 right, in the UK if you're right. a US-based investor. It so yeah, if you get a phone call, which I do regularly, it's like, y'all are beating my investment over at Vanguard or whatever. And then you ask what they're in over there and it's nothing compared to us right. or vice versa as well. You know, we'll get calls where y'all's investment's not doing as well as yeah. this fund that I'm holding over here. Well, what is the fund? Well, right. it's not a global fund, so it's not comparable. Right. So, Which, obviously, when there's different investments, they're going to behave differently. But I, I think what, what we're speaking to is this conclusion that folks come to of, well, the return here is better than here, so this investment's mm-hmm. better than that. It's like, no, that, right. that connection in your brain has to be severed. Right. That is not the conclusion. Right. Negative return does not equal bad investment. Just like positive return doesn't... Bitcoin was on fire for two years. And if right. you put your life savings in Bitcoin, you're probably not a very happy camper right now. Right. So <laughs> you just have to connect, disconnect that, that linkage in our brain from negative or positive returns equaling good or bad investment. Right. Um, I think as far as a benchmark is concerned, the, the number one thing I would say is have a risk-adjusted benchmark. In other words, to, to Janet's point, if you have a 50-50 allocation, don't compare to the Dow. Mm-hmm. Don't compare to the NASDAQ. I know we see those on TV mm-hmm. and I know we see them on the news and that's what gets talked about. But mm-hmm. the the correlation between that and your portfolio, they're aiming for something different than you are. They're right. trying to measure something totally different right. that you're not even trying to track. So it's if they're aiming left and you're aiming mm-hmm. right and they're off from each other, well, all of a sudden, even though you're trying to go left, you're going to chase them that's trying to go right. right. That's not what you're trying to do. So pick a a relative set, right? Mm-hmm. Pick a, a at least comparable index that is roughly the right balance and then mm-hmm. you just weight them, mm-hmm. right? So I'll, it's very, very simple. If you have, let's just say you had a U.S. large cap fund in one hand, mm-hmm. 50% of your portfolio, then it had a U.S. total uh, bond index mm-hmm. in your hand. You had a 50-50 portfolio mm-hmm. between those two funds. All you have to do is take whatever, whether it's the Russell 2000 or SP 500, whichever mm-hmm. one is more representative, mm-hmm. take 50% of the return of the equity benchmark and 50% right. of the return of the bond benchmark. And now you have your weighted benchmark. Do the same thing across the board, no matter what your mix is. So that's the first and most important thing to do when you're building a mm-hmm. benchmark, because if you do anything else, you're, you're, it's not even apples and oranges, mm-hmm. like apples and you know rhinoceroses. Right. It's just you're wasting your time. Mm-hmm. So build a proper risk-adjusted benchmark. The second thing I would say is make sure you are aware of what you're trying to, who are you trying to measure? What right. are you trying to compare? So for instance, like internally, we battle a lot about mm-hmm. when is the right time to use a benchmark on the fund level versus a benchmark on the asset right. class level versus a benchmark on the global level. <laughs> so for instance, we have we we favor value right. just just as a as a as a investment philosophy. Mm-hmm. We think value stocks over time, we think the data supports that value stocks will outperform. Right. So in our portfolios for instance, we overweight value, right. right? So I'm just picking numbers. If value stocks represent 30% of stocks out there, well maybe we invest 50% of our mm-hmm. money in value stocks. We're overweight what the market would tell you. Right. So that begs a question when we go to build our benchmarks. Mm-hmm. If we're in, let's say we have four US funds and three of them are value, tilted towards value, should we use three value benchmarks and then the one regular, or, or do we use one US benchmark for all four of those? Right. Because that's our decision. The market mm-hmm. has not said to be heavy to value. The market right. sets the 30% stake that value is at. We've decided to be heavy. Right. So 
should you weight it towards the neutral mm-hmm. market to reflect our decisions and right. then to test, is that working? In other words, is that showing up in returns? Are we beating right. what the market is? Or do you just go pro rata fund by fund and say, well, here's my U.S. large cap value mm-hmm. fund. Here's my U.S. large cap value index. Okay. So we it, do. It, it we does. go back and forth on that. And it depends on what you're trying to but, measure. If you're trying to measure the fund company, I would argue, then you do need to go fund by fund right. and, and see how the fund is doing. So right. just be aware. And, and this is probably, you know, going to a level where most individuals right. probably wouldn't right. go anyway. And but I if think you're, for our clients or for the individuals, they're more interested in how our performance compares to the market. Yep. So, Which is so, why we do it that way. Right. Right. I mean, for us, right. Internally, we look at other, even though we've stayed with the same fund company all these years, we still regularly, annually look at other options out there and compare. So we use those benchmarks to compare them, certainly. But for our clients on on that level, I think they're more interested in how our decision is compared to the market. So we do believe in value and, and there's times when it uh, doesn't outperform growth, but over time, it we believe it's going yep. to win, and, and so and we build our benchmarks to reflect yeah, that. Win it's or lose. important to win right. or lose, and and that's right. one thing I would say is, you know, if you're it, it, this, uh, particularly if you're working with an advisor, right? Like, uh, I most people probably aren't going to go down to this level of building, you know, mm-hmm. a blended benchmark to each of their funds, but. If you're working with an advisor, these are good questions to ask. Like, get their philosophy, get their methodology on how they select benchmarks. Why do they select the benchmarks they selected? I think it's helpful. And if you're a good benchmark, you should should not always beat the benchmark. Mm -hmm. If you're always beating the benchmark, you're cherry picking. It's likely, I would say. It's it's probably not a very robust benchmark if you're always beating it. Mm -hmm. When you're investing, the market's good at what it does. You're mm-hmm. not usually going to beat the market. Now, over time, there are things you can do, but just know it, mm-hmm. it's not the end of the world if you're losing to the benchmark. That's that's probably going right. to happen over time. Um, okay, so I want to kind of wrap up. Mm-hmm. We, we've talked about a couple of different things. I want to give some, like what I would call a, a returns cheat sheet. Okay. What are a couple of things that people should focus on, Janet, when going to analyze their returns. What are a couple bullet points they can remember in their minds that say, hey, these three things, these four or five things I'm going to do because the goal is, again, here, we're just trying to help you stay on track to make better better evaluations, which will lead to better decisions over time. So what are a couple of things folks can do? And then I'll, I'll throw mine in at the end. Okay. So, well, I think first of all, as, as we've said uh, two or three times in today's podcast is, is to really look at your returns over time. Don't try to compare a day or a month or or even a year. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's good to look at your annual return, certainly, uh, just to keep pace and know what's happening. But, but really, you need to look at it over an extended period of time to really get a true picture of the performance of that investment. Yep. Um, the other thing I would say, especially if you're comparing advisors, is to make sure that your returns are net of fees. In other words, this is the return you're going to get after they're paid. Yep. And that's very important to look at because fees have an impact on your performance. Mm-hmm. Oh, and of course, rolling returns. Our favorite, right? And that's the same thing. Over time, let's really, let's, and, and, Take different snapshots of those rolling returns over time and just know that that does show you the volatility at the same time of giving you that average that that we're looking for. 
So. Yep. Oh, yeah, I've got a couple. I would say we already touched on it. Make sure, like, focus on your benchmark because mm-hmm. most people are going to react to that benchmark. So the better your benchmark is, mm-hmm. the more it's going to limit how how incorrectly you can react at right. a certain time. So focus on your benchmark. Make sure it's proper. Um, I would say, as a rule, more time is better than less. Mm-hmm. Right? So it doesn't mean one year is useless. It means probably two years is more predictive than one, right. and five years is more mm-hmm. predictive than two. So when you can get more data, mm-hmm. get more data. Um, if you don't have long-term, I, I know rolling return simply takes a little bit more time. You, you want usually seven, eight, nine, mm-hmm. 10 years to build out that rolling return set. If you don't have that data, try to get historic mm-hmm. data for those positions. Even if you didn't hold them before you buy them, try to collect right. that data so that you can evaluate that rolling return set to, to make sure you're, you're right. getting on the ride you want to be on, right? Um, and then, yeah. There's no doubt the data's there. There's so much data and it just even not only in the return world, but in all aspects of investing and it's all there and, but it's too much. Yeah, You don't need all of it. As yep. long as you have a good strategy and you stick to it and it's working for you, yep. then know that you're doing the right thing. Don't yep. try to chase that return because right. it's, it's impossible. Well, and I think... So, Doing this over time will reinforce the right behaviors. Right. I think if you if you do these things, it will, if we keep saying, reduce the odds that you're going to make the wrong decision. Mm-hmm. And if you're making the right decision more often, you're going to have better outcomes. And the more better outcomes you have, right. the less likely you are to get off the path. So I think that's the key. Mm-hmm. Learn these good behaviors. Educate yourself. Right. I know it seems dry, seems boring, but it it's does. crucial because this is how people evaluate. This mm-hmm. is how this is how you make the decisions on, am I on the right path or do I get off the path and on to a right. different one? So make sure you're building in these good habits um, and make sure that you're not overreacting, mm-hmm. right? Make sure that you are remaining calm. Negative 4%, like example of why a benchmark is so important, negative 4% sounds bad, but if the benchmark's down 12, yeah. you feel pretty good about your negative yeah. 4%, right? <laughs> right? Although if you're negative 4%, the benchmark's positive 8. Okay, we got some learning to do. We got some adjustments right. to make. So just please go through these things. If you have any questions or you want to go into more detail, you're always welcome to email mm-hmm. us, reach out to us. We can always point you in the direction of resources. Um, if you're working yeah. with your advisor, ask him. Just ask them for how they how mm-hmm. do they think about returns? How do they how do they calculate returns? How do they think about their benchmark mm-hmm. construction? Worst case scenario, you'll come out more educated than you were before. Right? I think you'll you'll have a better experience long term, at the very least emotionally. Right? It'll it'll reduce the emotional Absolutely. ups and downs. The more you understand the the more at peace you will be. Yep. Uh, so it's helpful helpful Absolutely. to understand. You don't have to know every detail or every factor every. A piece of data that's out there, but yep. but certainly having at least a high level understanding of what it's about is yep. is very peaceful. I love sure. it. So that is understanding returns kept simple. Yeah. <laughs> so right. if that was helpful to you guys, let us know if if there's a subject matter that would be helpful to you. Please let us know because we're we're constantly uh, updating our schedule and yep. and bringing in. Uh, topics that are relative to the moment if needed and so that's right we're here to help all righty thanks janet we'll be back with episode 71 next week all right all right thank you adam see you guys then Bye. bye if you have any questions for adam or janet concerning this topic or anything else please visit us at our home on the web assetbuilder.com slash podcast there you can find their contact information as well as the show notes for every episode